Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across London. This story was performed by Rachel Matthews in May 2011, where the theme was triangles. My great-grandfather, I call him Gat-Gampa because I could never say great-grandpa. Um, he, was a, he was an eccentric. He lived in the Lake District, where I'm from, and uh, he used to do things. I never met him because he died before I was born. But he used to put his car on the front seat of, seat of the put his dog on the front seat of the car and steer the car from behind with two poles through the village and drive backwards and all this sort of stuff. So I always thought he was kind of cool. And um, he he was a builder by profession and a daredevil. And he had quite a bit of land, not a lot of land, but he had enough land that he could hang out with the bigger landowners and he could go shooting and sort of live quite a good wildlife and um, in 1936 he got an illness I don't know what it was but it was thought that the best thing for his illness was to go on holiday to the Congo on safari so there he went and when he was there he shot a rhino and um, it was a black rhino and he brought it back to England and I think he brought it back by boat and he I don't know how it survived but he stuffed it himself um, in his shed by filling it full of concrete, so it weighed a tonne. And the point of doing this was that um, he wanted... It was one-upmanship with his friends who had more land than him, so when he went shooting with his friends, he could put the rhino in the bushes on his land and go, look, rhino, and they'd all shoot at this thing. And uh, so that's why he had it. So it sat in the barn for years, for like 78 years. We live there now, and... Uh, but the barn is the garage, so it was always there, just with all the gardening tools and stuff. <laughs> As a kid, I could just go in the barn and look at it. And I never really, I don't know, I couldn't touch it. It was like uh, the, the colonial guilt of this thing was really peculiar, and nobody really talked about it, but it was just there. And um, anyway, a few years ago, we were clearing out the barn, and it was like we'd all been to look at it and talk to it so much, and my dad said, oh, let's put it up on the wall in the studio. So... We hung it on the wall. It took four men to get it on the wall because it was so heavy. It weighs 78 kilos. 
78 and 78 years in the barn. And um, so anyway, it was up on the wall in the studio and I kind of got to know it a bit. It was really nice just to sort of really look at him. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and then one day about this time last year, my mum had somebody round the house to check out the furniture insurance guy just to insure some furniture. And my dad's got a really nice desk in his studio, so she took him up there and the guy wasn't interested in the desk. He looked at the rhino and he was like that is worth a lot of money. He's like, you should really insure that. And it turned out it was worth 40 grand. And so <laughs> mum was like, okay, we'll better insure this thing. Uh, it was all a bit weird. And then this guy rang back a few months later and he's like, you should really sell this because the, the British government and a lot of other European countries, they put a law in place in April this year saying that rhino horn couldn't be exported to Chinese or to anywhere in the world anymore, which is a very good thing. Um, but also it meant that if, it was, if you wanted it to be worth 40 grand and get 40 grand, you had to sell it this year before April. And um, so at Christmas, my mum sat us down and was like, do you want to sell the rhino? My brother says yes, sell the rhino. Everybody says yes, sell the rhino. I wasn't too sure about selling the rhino, partly because I just the idea of it going to China to be aphrodisiac or whatever it is didn't appeal to me. Selling it to people that weren't very nice, and um, but also it was like the rhino and my great grandfather in my head had merged, and this rhino had become him, and I got to know him and I got to love him, and it was almost like he he was like I don't know having this sort of funny eccentric secret, like I don't. Tell, never told anyone that we had a rhino in the barn but it kind of it was a nice secret to have so I said no and in the end my mum bribed me to get me to sell it which I mean I did come around to the idea but the deal was that if we sold it she'd get a professional photographer in to take a portrait of it from every angle <laughs> so that I could commission my friend to do an oil painting of it because so if I had that on the wall that would feel okay so it went up for auction and in February, the day came for auction, and I happened to be staying with my mum and dad, and the phone rang quite early, and there seemed to be a problem. And my mum said, the, the guy said to my mum, oh, there's been a bit of a tragedy about your rhino. And my mum said, oh, has it fallen off the wall? Because obviously, how would you get it up on the wall? It took a lot, a lot of effort. And the guy said, no, the, um, the night before the auction... A white van had pulled up in front of the auction house and out of its back doors they fired a cannon through the doors of the auction house and then um, a Range Rover had ram-raided the front doors then they'd taken the cannon out of the van and used it to ram the inner doors and then four men in balaclavas had gone into the auction house and sawn the rhino off the wall with a chainsaw and then got back in the Range Rover, escaped over some fields abandoned the Range Rover and disappeared. And my mum, she said, oh, the children will be really upset. <laughs> she said, it was really cool. So anyway, this guy was in a bit of a state because he had to tell us all this. And the police had arrived. The, the alarm had gone off at 8.15 and the security guards had been distracted around the back of the building. The alarm went off at 8.15 the police arrived at 8.18 and there, there was no evidence, blah, blah, blah. And... Um, so, yeah, me and my mum went out for a drive in the car and we were thinking... Because the starting price of the auction was 20 grand. That was what it was down for on the internet. And we were thinking, for 20, gra like for 20 to 40 grand, you're not... It's four people in balaclavas. It's, it's got to be worth more than that with an abandoned Range Rover as well. So 
when we got home, me and my dad sat down and did some maths because we had all these portraits and my dad likes maths. And he worked out the weight of what the horns would could have been. And we were trying to work out if you ground it down into a powder and you sold it like you do speed or coke or something like that in a little wrap. <laughs> we were trying to work out if some Chinese businessmen would play like a thousand pounds for that wrap, say, because this is like the last time that they're ever going to get this stuff. So that seemed plausible, seeing as you get champagne for that sort of price sometimes. Like the horns could have been worth, like, we worked out 2.6 million. We're thinking something like that, so we're going to mum, mum, this could have been worth millions. So she, my mum was like, well, we better get some proper research done on this. And then she found this article that was in the Times about six months ago from this expert in Rhino Horn, and uh, he seemed to know what he was talking about. So mum got hold of him, called him up, and he said he'd be really interested to look at our portraits that we had done, this, this photos. So we sent him the photos, and he called back, and he said, oh, I'll show you the photos. Anyway, so this is our rhino here, if you can see him. And um, anyway, the guy said, this is like a really good specimen, a black rhino. And, but the thing is, the reason he would have been so valuable is that, right, the front horn, they grind that down into the powder and they mix it with this liquid to be this potion which they pass around the orgy kind of a thing. But the back horn, this is what's really difficult. The back horn has to be like a perfect oval shape so that they can build this, make, like carve this sort of traditional Chinese cup. And then they pour the liquid into that cup and that's what gets passed around. But what normally happens is the, the rhino horn, after a while, it starts to crack up the bottom um, and then you can't make the cup. And, um, but because he'd been like in a sort of damp Lake District barn for over 70 years, he had no cracks at all. He was in perfect nick. Um, so anyway, so April this year, there was, there was one more sale of rhino horn and there was four that went and they went for a lot more money. So at the moment, this expert is trying to work out with my mum how much he might have been worth and then we can get a bit more on the insurance. So it's quite exciting because we're going to be able to fix a parent's roof and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> but... Um, but, he, yeah, so meanwhile, it got on the Cambridge News, it went on the BBC, <laughs> and uh, Detective Sergeant Andrew Long from the Wildlife Department of the Police Force <laughs> said that he reckoned that it probably just left the country that night. He, he reckoned there was no real evidence or any... But he did say that he wanted anyone to step forward if they saw anything suspicious. <laughs> and um, nobody did. But then about a couple of weeks after that, a lady was out walking her dog and she found his head in a ditch. And he doesn't have any horns left and he's got no ears left. And he's, he got a little bit damp, so he's biodegrading a little bit in the forensic department at the moment. But I'm just... My mum's doing some... Um, she's just got to do with paperwork to get him released. And if he's, if he's in good nick, I'm a knitter by trade, and if he... If he's in good nick, I'm going to knit him some new horns. I've got a friend that does leather work and that can fix him there, and maybe his ears. But if he is biodegrading and he's too smelly or I can't do anything, then I've got a friend who's she's interested in shamanism and she's going to help us make him a little funeral and send his spirit back to wherever he's supposed to be. So he's going to die for the third time somehow. <laughs> That's my story. <laughs> For more stories, head to sparklondon.com. Spark London tells stories in West London, South London and now North Norfolk.
for one night only. We're telling stories by the sea. For more information, contact Joanna at sparklondon.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.